0: As uh, as Herman mentioned, uh, my name is Kevin Debray. Uh, Few of you know who I am. I used to teach your kids, uh, or maybe your grandkids. Uh, And after about 20 years of teaching junior high, God called me to, uh, to take over running Camp Rehoboth, which is out by Gull Lake. And so part of that job is for me to come to different churches and to thank you for your support, share what the camp ministry is all about, and to see if, if I can recruit some volunteers for our summer camp ministry. And so that's why I'm here this morning. Um, back earlier in the winter, uh, I knew this was going to be part of my job, so I approached uh, my council and Pastor Leon and said, I would like to write messages. I would like to write sermons, kind of what, what Wayne and August do here in your own congregation. And so they said, yeah, go for it. But we're going to make sure that Pastor Leon mentors you along the way and make sure that your message is theologically sound so you don't get yourself into trouble. So that's, I've got full endorsement of Wolf Creek Community Church and Pastor Leon has made sure that things are good. So I just want to reassure you of that. Um, yeah, and uh, so I'm, I'm really privileged and blessed to be bringing the word of God to you this morning. And uh, so what I'd like to do is, uh, I forgot to mention to Cindy that uh, my main passage is actually Genesis 26 verses 12 to 22. Um, So I will ask you to turn to that a little bit later, unless you want to turn to it a little bit early, you can. Um, So anyways, thank you again for the privilege. I wonder how many of you uh, have ever made New Year's resolutions. How many of you made resolutions this year? Okay, good. A few of you are being honest. Maybe not resolutions so much. Maybe it's a different goal that you've set out for yourself. Uh, Maybe you feel you need to eat better. Or you need to exercise a little bit more. Maybe you need to manage your finances better. Or volunteer with an organization. Or maybe you want to spend more time with family. I think most of us have hit a point in our lives where we want to make a change in something. We want to grow in certain areas. We want to get better. Try something new. So we make a resolution, a goal or two. A couple of mine are I want to learn how to play acoustic guitar, and I just downloaded a, a bunch of podcasts so I can learn how to speak Spanish. That's those are a couple of goals that I have. But a few weeks later, we forget about them. We go back to life as usual. We take the path of least resistance. So how do we change? Do we even really want to change God calls all of us to make changes. None of us are where we should be in life. We are called to become more like Jesus, but it seems to me we all have a long way to go. So how do we change? How can we become the people God calls us to be? It requires power. Maybe we're not looking to the right source of power in order to make that change, So, I invite you today to think about where we're looking for our power or our sustenance today as we read a couple of Bible passages. John 4, verses 7 to 29 is our base text this morning. But before we get there, I want to read a passage from Genesis that sets the stage for today's message. So, I'm going to ask you to turn to page 39 in your Pew Bibles. And uh, we're going to read Genesis 26, verses 12 to 22. Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Esek, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, so he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. Now things weren't easy. For Isaac, after Abraham's death, his brother Ishmael is not happy with him because Isaac received the firstborn's inheritance when it actually should have been Ishmael's. He moves his family to a place called Gerar, where the Philistines had filled up the wells Abraham had dug years ago with who knows what, more than likely using them as landfill sites. The first thing Isaac does is clean them out and reopen the wells and give them their original names back. Why? Why? Maybe he wants to remember the past. Maybe he wants to ensure the legacy of his family. Maybe he wanted to follow in his dad's footsteps. Isaac does this, and then he decides to move on and establish his own identity and create a place for himself. Starting something new in Gerar for Isaac is not easy. Digging a new well is no easy task. It involves a lot of hard manual labor, hoping that you actually find the water so you're able to create a new place to establish a settlement and raise your family. Every time Isaac would dig a well, the Philistines would argue and claim it was theirs. The first one Isaac names Esek, which translated means dispute. The second one is argued over again, so Isaac names it Sitna, which translated means opposition. Digging and naming a well indicates ownership of the area, But the local Philistines don't seem to care about this tradition and just want to cause Isaac a lot of misery. It's not an easy way to start life in a new land, trying to take one step forward and ending up two steps back. He's working pretty hard, but he's not making any progress. Maybe this rings true in your own life. Maybe you've tried something new and it hasn't worked out. A variety of careers, maybe some new hobbies. Or places to live without the success you were hoping for. Sometimes it just seems like you can't get ahead at all. One thing I noticed during Isaac's trying and frustrating times is that it never mentions him complaining or blaming God for his current situation. Too often we ask God why he's placed us in a difficult situation, why he allows certain events to happen in the world or in our own lives, Or even maybe we blame him for our current circumstances. Instead, Isaac perseveres. He moves on a bit, chooses another spot, digs another well, and finally this time the Philistines leave him alone. Could it be that they've just given up harassing Isaac? Isaac names this well, Rehoboth, which means room, and he explains why in verse 22b. Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. Now this verse has a strong connection to the ministry that I'm privileged to, believe, to work for and I believe in. It's the spiritual foundation for Rehoboth Christian Ministries in Camp Rehoboth. Their mission statement is as follows. Rehoboth conveys God's love to persons with disabilities and their families by making room for them and enabling them to flourish. Rehoboth has made room across Alberta allowing people the opportunity to live a full life. Now this is what Isaac wants for his family as well, a new place and an opportunity for them to find room and flourish. Right after this experience, God appears to Isaac and and reconfirms the promise he had given to Abraham, his father, to bless him and multiply his descendants. So now let's fast forward to the New Testament where we take a look at someone else that had an experience at a well. And this one, I believe, is on the PowerPoint. It's John four. Verses 7 to 29. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, "'You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman.' How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? "'I have no husband,' she replied. "'Jesus said to her, "'You're right when you say you have no husband. "'The fact is, you have had five husbands, "'and the man you now have is not your husband. "'What you have just said is quite true.' "'Sir,' the woman said, "'I I can see that you are a prophet. "'Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, "'but you Jews claim that the place "'where we must worship is in Jerusalem.' "'Jesus declared, "'Believe me, woman,' A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? So we meet a Samaritan woman coming to the well in the middle of the day looking to get some water. What she receives changes her life forever. First off, she's a Samaritan and Jesus is a Jew. These two groups avoided each other as much as possible during Jesus' time. Secondly, she's there in the middle of the day. Usually women came to the well first thing in the morning to avoid the heat of the day. So why does she come at noon? Is she trying to avoid the other women in the community? I don't have the answers to those questions, and that's not what this message is about. But Jesus gives her the answer to her ultimate question. What is she searching for? In the short term, the Samaritan woman is looking for water. She comes to the well like she probably does every day, getting water for the people and the animals in her care. Jesus asks her for a drink, and it gives him the opportunity to share the gospel with her. At first, she declines because of the different ethnic backgrounds they have. But Jesus breaks that barrier by talking about living water, which is what she's really looking for. In verse 15, she misunderstands Jesus thinking that he can provide her with a never-ending well of water for her physical needs. She's currently digging a well in her own life that is not producing fresh living water. Jesus confronts her with this in verse 16 to 18. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. She is digging a well in relationships. Five husbands, and the man she's currently with is not her husband either. Jesus knows all of this, but we don't hear any words of condemnation, just the promise of living water and the opportunity to begin digging a well that will produce a spring of water welling up in eternal life. As we continue on in the story, the woman believes that Jesus is who he claims to be, and tells the surrounding area all about her encounter with this man. But our focus for today remains at the well. This is not the first example in Scripture where people were digging wells in the wrong places. In Jeremiah 2, verse 13, we read, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Even though God and his word was supposed to be the source of life for the people of Israel after they came to the new land, before long they started looking to the idols of their neighbors as the source of hope. They started digging their wells in the wrong places, and it led to a lot of trouble for them, even spiritual sickness and death. (laughs) Kind of reminds me of the many times I've committed to reading the Bible in a year, or maybe promising the first thing I'm going to do each morning is devotions and prayer, only to falter when I allow daily life to get in the way. So here's a question I have for you as well. wonder where you're digging your wells these days. Maybe it's money, possessions, wanting the latest and greatest, peer groups, the people you hang out with, sports accomplishments, maybe it's academics, music, video games, relationships with friends, parents, boyfriends, girlfriends, spouses, co-workers. Take a look at your life to see where you're putting a lot of effort into. Now, I'm not above this either. I also have a well that I struggle with all the time, and especially when springtime rolls around. For me, one of the wells I'm currently digging is triathlons. And the school kids know this. When I gave a presentation at LCS, they heard all about triathlons. I work hard to see how fast I can swim, bike, and run compared to the younger kids and also to old guys in my age group, and I want to see if I can get better and faster each year. It takes a lot of time, money, and effort, but does it really get me anywhere? I always joke that no matter how fast I go, I kind of do a big circle and end up where I started. So it's easy to argue, yes, it's a great way to stay in physical shape. It also, it's allowed me to make new friends and maybe encourage other people to try something new or go after their goals. It's given our family new places to explore, explore and to vacation to. It gives me a degree of satisfaction and fulfillment every time I finish a race. The struggle is that it is a well that does provide refreshment for me, but it's not the living water that I need. I have to make sure that it doesn't consume me. That it's only part of my life and it doesn't define who I am primarily, which is a child of God. It's my side of the story, it's not God's. God's side of the story is that I'm digging in the wrong places sometimes. And if you take an honest look at your own life, I'm pretty sure you're going to find the same thing. So where should we dig? Like the woman at the well, we're all searching for a place to flourish. A place to have room and grow and become the person God wants us to be. Whether you're young or old, you will encounter multiple obstacles on the, wor- on the road towards your well, your promise. When you work hard on wells like Esek and Sitna and they don't work out, it drains the life out of you instead of providing any refreshing water. Their waters are bitter and they are hard places where we are the most tempted to quit. Is it going to be easy? No. The herdsmen of Gerar in our original story kept opposing Isaac every time he dug a well. People in your own life might provide opposition as you try to dig a new well. But keep digging. You will find a place to flourish. So we're going to head back to our passage in John 4. This is where we and the woman at the well hear and learn that Jesus is the living water. Maybe it's the first time you've heard this story. Or... Maybe it's the hundredth time you've heard this story. But it creates a turning point in our lives, like it did for the woman at the well. If your relationship with Jesus is pretty solid, maybe it's time to dig a little deeper so you can provide that living water for others around you who are thirsty. Maybe you need to dig deeper because the well might be starting to dry up. A couple of places to start is to examine whether you're digging into the word of God or God enough Or maybe your prayer life could use a bit more effort, like my own. Maybe the wells you've been digging haven't produced any water yet, and it's time to abandon them and dig a well in the right place. Our story continues with the woman at the well starting to wonder if Jesus really is the Messiah. At least, she's convinced enough to gather her neighbors to hear this man who told me everything I ever did. In other words, she's beginning to dig her well in the right place, in Jesus the Messiah, the source of living water. Still not convinced? I chose not to read another part of John 4 because I didn't want to give away the surprise ending a little too early. In verses 39 to 42, if you've got your Bible still open, we read. Many? Verse 39 to 42. One more time, I'd like to ask, where are you digging your wells? Wherever it is, I invite you to turn away from those broken cisterns we read about in Jeremiah and look to the only true source of living water, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Only he will give you what you need to live an abundant life now and forevermore. And especially during this Easter season, only he will truly satisfy your deepest longings. Dig your wells in Jesus. Let's pray.